My guest today is Ian Mauser, the founder of the Portland-based nonprofit My Voice Music. I hope you listen today on at least two levels. On one level, we have the incredible story of how one person created an amazing organization by following what came naturally. And on another, discovering the impact of music on community and purpose. This is the Supergivers Podcast. Ian, I'm really happy to have you with me. Yeah, well, thank you for for having this conversation. Right on. So as I said a minute ago before we started, I'm really excited to uh, hear about your story, your perspective on how powerful the arts can be in serving youth and the youth that you serve. So for the people who are learning about your project for the first time, uh, would you be willing to sort of introduce yourself and, and what the work is about for you? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I, I started my voice music, uh, which is an organization you could in a really, I think we can get into it more deeply, but on a really kind of, uh, tangible, easily kind of accessible idea, you can think of like a Venn diagram and on one side, we have therapeutic programs, uh, that are going in, uh, to residential treatment facilities, serving young folks with mental health challenges or detention centers or, uh, various, uh, lockdown centers, uh, as well as some other stuff uh, where where youth might be detained detained or being treated, uh, and then on a on a whole other side that's that's completely separate but also related is we have a studio that's open to the public for free for kids to uh, attend seven to twenty four years old, and that's just uh, a place for all young people to come together uh, regardless of their background based on their shared passion for for music. And then, like on a Venn diagram, those two concepts have some some overlap as well. So, so that's uh, in a nutshell what my voice music uh, does. And uh, I, I I started the organization based on my work as a treatment counselor, working with young people who are ten to twelve uh, years old, who are in uh, eighteen month mental health treatment centers, young uh, boys who had experienced. Uh, significant uh, acute trauma and also had, you know, some severe mental health diagnoses. And I I found in that environment that, uh, you know, incorporating music into that uh, milieu or that, you know, living situation that the young folks were in uh, had a really profound impact. And, uh, and it was actually, it was measurable. So the extreme, uh, outbursts that young people would have where they might become violent or uh, uh, become harmful to themselves or others uh, dramatically went down uh, and they attended school more often. And these really profound results that were tracked during kind of this uh, accidental music program that I ran. And then based on that, uh, the management at this uh, large uh, facility that I worked at kind of hired me to do that throughout the area. And the rest of their organization. So anyway, started 10 years ago. That's kind of uh, what we do in a nutshell. And uh, yeah, the seed of, of what began my voice music. Yeah. So I remember you you told me about this when we met um, a while back. And I'm hoping you can, you can pinpoint this moment you're talking about a little bit more personally, if you're willing, that it sounds like you, you stumbled upon this modality from a, just a place inside your, your nature 
um, being a musician or, or wherever. And I'm wondering, what about yourself gave you the confidence to try this? Because I know there's a lot of people potentially listening who have ideas and the difference sometimes in, in these ideas becoming um, amazingly powerful, like, like your organization has, is that they have to be willing to take a risk and try something new. So I'm wondering for you, what helped you try it and then keep going? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. And, uh, I, uh, I love it. So, uh, it brings up a lot for me. Um, so I, I, I guess I can start with that question. Um, my, my, uh, I, I was a musician for a number of years and I've got a, a friend who was my, my attorney back when I was doing music stuff. And, uh, when I told him I was starting my voice music, he was like, man, you're the last guy I thought would start a, a nonprofit. Uh, and where that's going is that in my 20s, my, my young 20s, I was really running from a lot of uh, my, my childhood experiences and kind of playing on different characters and roles. Uh, I was pretty sensitive growing up and, and experienced, you know, life challenges within my home and various things. So anyway, I, I kind of like disassociated with all that stuff and just became this, uh, this kind of character um, that was pretty um, not uh, willing to be vulnerable. Uh, in, in, in a lot of ways, uh, certainly you can't run from, from all that, but, uh, so, so, uh, I, I found that music was kind of working with these kids a little bit. And then I was really in this place of like, wow, what do I do? And, uh, I had this dream where, where I just got to like, uh, I got to watch my interactions with, with tons of different people in my life. And I got to watch how I was fearful of, uh, being vulnerable in front of them, of of, of sharing uh, meaningful things, and uh, and then I got to watch as they walked away, and then it's like almost these like thought bubbles would come up. I don't remember what the dream was, but uh, where it was like they needed to hear what was on my mind, and they needed to know that they weren't alone, and I was fearful in in, in sharing that. So so I woke up from that like profoundly impacted, and I just thought, how selfish am I that I've been, you know, unwilling to go there and. Uh, so from that point forward, it really changed my dialogue with my friends and the people around me. And so I, I began to acknowledge the strength that was happening within this program and acknowledging that uh, what, you know, uh, this is not original stuff, but what I had stumbled upon uh, was, was really important for young people. And, and, then I, and then because in part because of that dream, I, uh, you know, I told people about it and then it was really those people that said, holy moly, this is rad. Uh, we want to support you. How can we support you? And, and my community gathered around me and somebody, you know, I was this poor musician guy. So my, my buddy bought me a $500 1985 van and uh, I used that to, to bring in all gear. And anyway, that, that built up some accountability for me to kind of continue to grow the, the program. Hmm. And, uh, and from there, the the rest is history. I imagine he was like a more humble version of Jack Black in School of Rock. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, that that was it, man. I mean, and and back then, man, I was like, you know, double denim with some holes in my jeans and cowboy boots and long hair, and just you know, just walking into this place with my my band's gear and my tube amps and some recording gear, and uh, I mean, it was a it was it was it was a total hoot. It was awesome. <laughs> well. I'm glad I met you at this time in life, but I also would <laughs> like to have known you at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, funny. Uh, 
how hard it was how hard was it then to start the nonprofit? Yeah, well, you know, uh, I got some great advice from somebody once that you know, I was talking about, uh, you know, comparing myself to other organizations and other people who had established things or just who were running things and the guy uh he was an arts organizational consultant and he just stopped me and he's like, "Look, this organization is going to grow at the pace that you want it to grow and that is perfect for this organization and i thought that was so cool so i just say that in prefacing it because every every story is different and every journey is different so for me um i was really fortunate in that i was in my late 20s you know i didn't have a whole lot of responsibilities uh so i was able to start this thing and then uh and then i think there's just just this beautiful um this beautiful thing that happens with uh, blind optimism where you have no idea how hard something's going to be. Mm. And so um, I just kind of, I just kind of went forward and uh, it was, it's, it's been uh, just an amazing growth, you know, like, I mean, for me personally, it's been uh, at times really emotionally exhausting Um, as a running a nonprofit, you know, you have to raise money and there's many ways for people to raise money, but you know, we're, supported, you know, I think 75% of our funding comes from individuals, which means I need to tell my voice music story a lot. And I need to uh, make sure that I'm an ambassador for the work we're doing. Um, and that can be, um, that can be tiring. And if you're not uh, centered, it, it can, it can really pull you. So, you know, there's logistical challenges. Um, but there's people that have had those challenges before that we can reach out to and, and consult with and, uh, and there's emotional challenges where there's people who have dealt with those before and we can reach out to. So I've been fortunate to have a really good network of, of people that I either knew or was introduced to. I, I guess the last thing I'll say is the best thing that ever happened to me is I met with that attorney that I t- mentioned earlier. And, you know, he wrote down three names on a post-it note and said, you need to meet with these people. And I met with those three people. And then, you know, likewise, in some fashion, they gave me the names of one to, you know, three other people. And I just met with person after person and just told them what I was up to and asked them what they've done. And, and it just invited all these people into my life that, you know, are mentors to this day. I, I want to hear more about what it looks like today. Who, you know, who are you seeing is, is most served by your program and, and maybe some of the, some of the inspiration that you've seen happen. As a result, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so this is our ten-year anniversary. Actually, what day is this? Oh, this is the twenty-seventh. Okay, our our actual IRS anniversary was the twenty-fourth of September, which is three days ago. Congrats! Uh, hey, thanks. <laughs> uh, so it's our ten-year anniversary, and we've uh, you know worked with about ten thousand kids. We've partnered with over 50 different organizations bringing music and instruments and recording gear and uh, anywhere from year-round to eight-week uh, songwriting workshops where kids learn to play all the instruments, collaborate as a band, or write individually, and then perform and, and record their, their original songs that they wrote. Um, and, and that's the basic uh, format of what we do. That, that, that deviates based on you know where we're at and what the needs of the young folks are and the interests. Um, anyway, so, so that description I just gave of, of bringing all those instruments out and, and sending out, you know, inspiring teaching artists to work with young folks. Uh, that's, that's two thirds of the work that we do. So last year we worked with 1600 kids 
uh, about a thousand uh, were were in uh, mental health facilities, detention centers, or otherwise. And and then and then about six hundred came to our our studio in Southeast Portland uh, to either record a song or an album or participate in our year rounds. Uh, we call it the Artist Mentorship Program, and it's just uh, students who show up, you know, for uh, middle school nights or uh, high school nights or transition age 18 to 24 nights uh, and and we have uh, you know rock and hip-hop and indie and you know kind of whatever the the, the kids are into at the moment um, and and those kids are participating in this intentional kind of long-term artistic mentorship uh, 50% of the kids in that program have been there over three years um, so it's this just really kind of close-knit a uh, group of folks that um, in some ways become, you know, uh, a lot of kids will say my voice music, my family, you know, but certainly uh, an extension of uh, uh, somebody close in your life. Uh, so, so that's what we do now. And then, and then out of that mentorship will come, uh, we have a leadership program that happens over the summer uh, where kids will attend our training high school and college age Students will attain our trainings, attend our trainings, and and then teach at our summer camps uh, for uh, nine to thirteen year olds. Uh, and then we do an extensive amount of outreach to to kids in foster care during the summer, so that they're getting free summer rock camps. And those teen leaders we're working with uh, come from really uh, varied backgrounds. And in some, this is the first time they've had an adult tell them that they can have an impact on the world. And, and for some, we met them in uh, a facility where they were seen as a challenge to be fixed, uh, altruistically so, perhaps by a doctor, a nurse, a therapist, a line staff. All these people are, are, are trying to help this young person. Um, and and we, get, we get to have a flip side relationship with them where it's, we see you as an inspiring artist that can make change in the world based on the resiliency that you've shown, based on the strengths that we see every day. Uh, and so we take them through this training that just, the, the, then it, the training is all about working with uh, young folks that have experienced trauma or might be, have a barrier to experiencing vulnerability and trying new things. And uh, so they're receiving this training to uh, work with other people, but that training is also something, you know, I gain something from every time I, I give that training. So. Uh, so anyway, we do all this outreach in the community, and we hope that uh, a percentage of those young people will join our year-round programs. And then through our year-round programs, we've got long-term relationships that are building, which funnel down into a leadership program. Uh, and ultimately, the most dramatic you know, example of change we can provide is uh, you know, meeting someone within a treatment center where they are seen as a challenge to be fixed and walking with them as they begin to see themselves as somebody capable of providing something that can help somebody through their challenges. Uh, and to the story aspect, um, I just actually met with one of our, our former students. She's 23 now, and she's a, she's a, a teacher's assistant working um, in, in a school. And we met her uh, at her third hospital stay uh, in a mental health facility and she was having a real, you know, hard time, uh, at that point. And, um, uh, and she found my voice music and, and really she, she really just bonded with a particular staff member at that in our groups. And when she discharged from that hospital, uh, her mom called us right away and 
said, you know, can she become involved in My Voice Music? And that's that's almost before we had our studio. Well, it was before we had our studio. So so we assembled a group of, of young folks to, to begin to work together. And that was the start of our artist mentorship program. So this young woman participated in the artist mentorship program. She played at um, some great venues in town. Uh, she became a student leader, all these different things. And then she graduated. I didn't see her for, I guess it's been five years now. And we met and and she said, you know, my voice music saved my life and it continues to do so to this day. And and I, I hear things from that from from young folks. I'm just like, what do you what do you mean? So I like dig deeper because, you know, I don't sometimes, I, you know, I think it's easy to say something like that to the founder of an organization. Uh, but, you know, one of the things we do is we end a lot of our programs with just singing uh, Let It Be. And, and she has that tattooed on her wrist. And for her. You know, the, the musical experience provided the scaffolding for dramatic personal change and to experience vulnerability and learn that it's okay and that people, you know, there's a community of people around you. And, and one of the most important things she said was the relationships in my voice music, being able to go someplace for once a week where I could just be me. I wasn't working to fix something. I wasn't I was just around other kids, many, you know, who had experienced things like me, and we were just all focused on music. Um, that's, that's um, you know, that, that's a story of kind of what I just talked about, that most dramatic example of, of change that, um, you know, we might see in our programs. Uh, and I could certainly kind of go on for days on those stories. But Yeah, thank you for sharing. That's amazing. I'm, no, I'm realizing as you've, you're saying this that you've spent time both on the side as a clinician in an inpatient center. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. And then also now on this service side in the MPO and with this unique perspective, I'm curious to know, is there something you wish that um, the clinical world and the world at large would believe about mental health stigma, especially in youth or like something they um, might like a belief they might challenge or, a kind of a mindset shift you'd like to see happen? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I've been reflecting on something really uh, a lot lately, this concept. Uh, but first, I just want to make sure I clarify that um, when I was in treatment centers, I was, uh, I was a treatment counselor, which is really um, in the mental health world, certainly I was, I was trained and had qualifications and certifications, but I, I wasn't a clinician. I was like a, a milieu manager. You know, I was in charge of getting those kids up and, and maintaining a positive culture during the day um, versus, you know, setting any treatment plans. I was in charge of implementing treatment plans. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so what's been on my mind lately, and maybe this is getting to what you're saying or, or, or maybe not, but uh, is the idea of, you know, uh, like if, if, if I'm standing in, in, in a, in a tide in an, in an ocean and the, and the tide is ebbing and, and I feel like, you know, I am alone or, or perhaps those, those people that don't identify as having any mental health challenges or, or experiencing trauma in their life, you know, they, they exist on this, on the surface level. And, uh, and I don't mean that as, as they only uh, exist on a surface level of, of life and meaning and emotion. I mean that as my, you know, analogy of this, 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 uh, this tide. And as the tide, you know, recedes, the person realizes that there's all these people that are, that are, 
that haven't been seen, that haven't been recognized because of the stigma of, of, of trauma and mental health. And these, these people are holding them up. You know, our coworker, the person to our left and our right, who have experienced these, these great challenges but can't speak them for fear of how people will see them if they make a mistake in the workplace. No longer are they a human making a mistake, but they're a human affected by this uh, mental health influence or this traumatic past and 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 because you can't share there's isolation but imagine you know as the stigma falls like to recognize the strength and and, and resiliency and power that is unique to these people that that have been holding us up because they know how to, to provide empathy and they they have seen challenge and they know what that looks like and so they can support other people and and to flip the narrative from damage this person is damaged to this person is incredibly powerful and resilient. And, and I need to be connected to that person so that I can have strength in my life or additional strength in my life. Um, that's, a, that's a thought that I've been having. I don't know if that uh, kind of uh, the mental health stigma kind of spurred that. Um, so does that answer your question? Or Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Are there, are there ways that you see, this playing out in everyday life that you think would be helpful for people to raise their awareness of? You know, I, I just, I, 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 I feel, especially working with young people because I get to work with parents and, and parents are a great example of also, I believe clinicians or anybody who's in, in power, you know, I think it's, it's this wonderful thing that we get to do to imagine that we can fix a person. And, you know, there's this great quote by this guy who founded this organization. I, I'm, uh, I'm hoping I can uh, think of, of what the quote is or, or, or find it. Uh, so this is a quote by this uh, guy, Parker Palmer, who, who founded the Center for Courage. He's a PhD and all sorts of other accolades. But he says, the human soul doesn't want to be advised or fixed or saved. It simply wants to be witnessed to be seen, heard, and companioned exactly as it is. And when we make that kind of a deep bow to the soul of a suffering person, our respect reinforces the soul, the soul's healing resources, the only resources that help the sufferer make it through. So I think that there's this, this power that, that we assume that we have. And, and let's, let's imagine, um, uh, well, let's imagine me. I run a nonprofit, and my job is to facilitate an organization that helps people. And I can imagine that my music program, my, in quotes, is so impactful that we are fixing hundreds and thousands, well, hundreds of kids or thousands of kids uh, each year. But we don't fix anybody. We don't have the power to fix somebody. We have the power to provide people with tools and resources. Um, and I think that there's this, that it makes me feel good to say, if I were, that I'm fixing people. It makes me feel powerful, like I have agency over my life. It's a lot more uh, ambiguous and vulnerable to exist in a world where I'm doing work night in, day in and day out, um, and, I, and I'm not, I can't say I'm fixing anyone. That's, I'm just providing opportunities. There's no uh, X result, you know? Um, and so in a day-to-day -day life and how we practice that, uh, I, I just see so often that the people think that they're powerful over others, but each individual is so powerful in and of themselves. Does that make sense? 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 You, you're coming from a really similar place that, that my training and beliefs as a counselor come from, which is that I am not the agent of change, that the person, we, we are each born into this world with everything that we need to be whole. And the power of relationship is to help each of us get connected with our own resources, which already exist within us. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of the, the, the similarities I was, I was talking about that, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. What you said is beautiful. Mm. I'm trying to think of like what the um, challenges are for people in trying to create equity and opportunity in the world. And mm. what have you found in running my voice? Um, you know, you're a white middle-class male, fair to say. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So how, how have you leveraged your privilege to create opportunities for, for those who don't have them or don't have them as easily? Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I've got two directions that I, I, I might want to go. Um, I think, I think to, to, to start by going back to that last point, you know, um, of, which is recognizing that, that 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 person is whole and doesn't need to be fixed, and then and then I think to to blend it with with this concept, I've got this this story about a young man I met years ago um, in East Portland, and I I met him. He was a sophomore in high school. It was like two weeks after uh, one of his really good friends had been shot and killed uh, in, due to gang violence, and it's actually the youngest kid in in the state history at that time to be. Um, killed in gang violence, and and this kid, when I met him, uh, he he wrote me a le letter later that said something to the effect of, you know, when I met you, um, I wasn't speaking to anybody. I was angry. I didn't know where to go. And uh, your program uh, gave gave me a place to say what I needed to say. And you know, thank you for that. And so anyway, so this kid, the first time I met him, he was recording in a classroom. And and he was a hip hop artist, so he had his headphones on. He was listening to a track, so you couldn't hear anything in the room other than what he was saying and rapping. And and he was shaking at the microphone and just just passionate. And and it, it it gave me chills as I walked in the room. And I didn't, I'd never met him. And I was so after he was done, I was just like, I want to introduce myself. What I just saw from you was so powerful. Thank you for sharing. He became a part of our program, and and through his music, he ended up sharing this message that. Ended up, I mean, he ended up speaking ultimately at PSU for using art for social change, and he spoke on the radio, and, and he had, you know, all these different opportunities to speak publicly about the experience that he had and, and what his solution for that was. And it was, it was so powerful to watch, and it was so much more impactful than anything I could ever do. Uh, it, it was out of my expertise because I don't live in that community. I'm not from that community. So he is, is speaking uh, the change and being the power in that community. And so um, I think one of the ways that, that I, you know, see my job in promoting um, not trying to reinforce white uh, institutional power um, and, to, and to work against that is, is to celebrate and learn from 
the voices of community, whatever that community might be, and let them be the change makers, again, of themselves, recognizing individual power and agency, and then recognizing the power and agency that person has first to make change in their own life, but then in their communities. And um, uh, so, so, the, so that's one thing. And then I think just one of the things I really like to do with, with young folks um, and people in general, and, you know, is to look at the strengths that these people possess. And so this young man, for example, you know, he overcame this great anger and put his anger, he, he still had that anger and he put it in to, to speaking and writing rhymes that affected so many people by him sharing his voice. And then, you know, something I like to share with him is like, you know, I have been personally impacted by you sharing your voice and I watched you do this and it was inspiring. And then I watched you do it to your community and that was inspiring. If you continue to share your powerful voice and your insightful perceptions of the world, imagine the impact you will have not only on just your community, but their community. And as you grow old, imagine your impact on the world if you continue to foster that gift. So anyway, that's, that's just all to say, like, really recognizing individual power uh, and the, the power of a community to be the people that can uh, create change as they would define a need for that uh, in the community. That's not my, that's not my job. Uh, and then, and then I think the other thing is I can speak to is, is when I started my voice music, I just knew that I was going to be an ambassador to make the opportunity of, uh, a musical program, which, uh, at the time, you know, the kids I was working with in detention centers and residential facilities, they didn't have access to music, but they also didn't have access to sports, to chess clubs, to uh, any sort of rich educational opportunity. They, they really have nothing going on in these treatment centers. And so my job was to tell the world that they need to support uh, programs for young people that don't have any other opportunity at that point in their life. Um, and so I, I just have, have viewed it as, as my, my job to, you know, speak. And I'm, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that, that I'm able to speak and, and that I can and tell my story. And, and I, am, I am a white guy, and uh, I married a white woman uh, who, you know, she went to a private school and knows a lot of people that were able to go to that private school. And, and so we've been able to start an organization uh, that's been able to grow year after year. We're certainly, you know, we're a local organization, we're a small nonprofit, um, but we're able to be, you know, resourced at this point well enough to grow every year. And, and uh, so, so yeah, I think just working to, uh, I think you, you touched on when you asked the question, but, but redistribute funds, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, inspiring people to give so that, change can be made and, and, and I'm not the change maker, but the community is the change maker and, and, and helping that to, to happen in whatever way it can. The last thing I'll say is just listening, you know, our, our programs are, are responsive to interest. They're not prescribed to, to people. So we're listening to the young people in our program say, Hey, we want to do this. You know, as I mentioned earlier, a mom called and said, you have a year round program. So we started a year round program. Um, yeah. I just want to go back to the original point. I know you're not clearly the type of person who is going to, you, you know, make yourself an, an agent um, or, or ring your own bell. It just for, for extraction purposes of, of um, kind of transferable actions, 
to the listeners, you, especially with this young man you speak about, you showed up, you were in the room, you were open-minded enough to witness him and take, you know, take him in and his intensity and his passion, I think you called it. And then the other thing I heard you do was you reached out to him and you gave him really humble personal feedback about the impact he'd made on you. And that's, that's something we all can do every day in, in varying circumstances to, to varying levels, right? Yeah. So even though that might be in your nature and it's how you see yourself um, and you might see it as a given, that's not a given for everybody. And I just want to encourage people to, to you know, even listen through Ian's humility that those actions are there on the table and they're not given <laughs> for all yeah. of us and, right. and that they can make a huge impact um, if we're willing to have the personhood to show up and reach out and connect and make just really respectful invitations is kind of what yeah. I, what I heard you do with that, that young man. Yeah. And, 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 and it's not just, you know, it, it's not just, um, I don't know, like granola speak. It's, it's not just a, a, you know, it's a nice thought, but it's also based on, on research. They've done like double blind studies when people are going in to, to take, you know, a question of 10 answers or whatever the, the, the thing is. And, and somebody speaks to them as they hand out the test and they say to that person something like, you know, thank you for showing up today. I know it was a hard thing to do, but the fact that you made it here, you know, I'm confident you're going to do great. And to the other, uh, folks, they didn't say anything. Every person that received or, you know, whatever the percentage is, uh, that simple uh, acknowledgement of a strength that they had, you know, braving traffic or, you know, getting their kid to the, the you know, the, the preschool on time or whatever it may be, despite having a frustrating day, just that acknowledgement had them do better on that test. And in a and acknowledging the strengths of other people, it has a profound impact. I mean, that's that's the only reason I'm here is because people uh, acknowledged real gifts in me and and, and shared them. Uh, at our summer camps, one of the most beautiful things that I experience all year is that our teen interns give these uh, awards to the kids, and we don't give out um, most improved or whatever. We give out you know, you are a fire. And then we describe the fire in three different ways. You are a fire because, you know, you lifted your team up when we were down and we were all exhausted and you gave us, you know, whatever it is. And then, and then we give two other examples. And then we do that activity that I described, you know, we hope that you will continue to share this gift with the world because you are powerful and you're, you know, meaningful. And man, it's just, it's so, it's so impactful And, and every person can do it. And it's just a habit that we need to get into. Uh, and you know, I would say that it wasn't, it wasn't hard work for me because I was, I was inspired by this kid. I didn't have to pretend to be inspired. Right. I think that that's part of the real gift thing is it's like, we don't have to walk around and be like, Oh my gosh, I'm so inspired by you when, when we're not, but, but we can find something else to, uh, to note, or maybe we just, you know, make sure to express those, those things when we see that gift in somebody. Well, especially, yeah, I just want to interrupt and say, especially when we're, when we're crossing delicate uh, social strata lines, then, yeah. you know, the, the authenticity meter has to even be at its best. Mm. And I, I would preface everything we're both saying about feedback as it's really genuine feedback that counts, um, right. not, not fluff. And especially when we're reaching across and we're creating a bridge 
um, between, you know, where there, where there could be a gap and it's yeah. only going to work to the extent that the person is uh, congruent and authentic. Right. Right. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, I think, uh, in the nonprofit world, I, I don't know about what you're experiencing, but, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion have been, you know, really important to, you know, foundations who are seeking funding from, or, you know, the, 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 that phrase diversity, equity, inclusion has been coming up, you know, for the past several years and, and become really, um, you know, widely impactful in, in the nonprofit world anyway. And I think in, in the larger context of conversations too. And I think that it's so easy as, you know, you know, from my perspective, it's probably easy for many people, but as a white guy, um, it's, it would be, it is so easy for, for me just to parrot what people might want me to say or, or um, come up with those easy kind of uh, deliverables that, that make me sound good uh, in, you know, on paper or in person. But, but to acknowledge the fact that, like, you know, I as a white guy walking around, I can't help but running an organization you know, I can't help in many ways, but to perpetuate, you know, whiteness in a, in a system uh, that has been brought up to support someone like me, even though I grew up as a poor white male, even though I grew up with a trauma past, even though that doesn't matter, like I was still looked at as, as you know, as, as a white male who's over six foot tall and all these things. Um, and uh, to acknowledge that and, and then to fight against, you know, the ways that that shows up. Uh, I think is uh, is a, is a harder conversation to have, but a much more important one. Does that? Yeah, no, no I'll, I'll stop there. But just to acknowledge that, like you know, it's this conversation. You know, how do we? How do? How do I, as a as a white guy, you know, help the world be more equitable? I think I think you know, it should probably start with a conversation that you know, you know, I acknowledge that systematic racism and oppression. Uh, are part of the framework that we, of the ground that we step on that is not our ground, but is, you know, <laughs> Native American soil and, and all those different things that, that it should start there. And then these are the ways that I am trying to fight against that in my own world and then in, in, the, in the world around me. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I just wanted to touch on that, I guess. Do you make space for that level of um, personal sharing and vulnerability at any point in your programs for yourself yeah. for yourself and other leaders and people to sort of like join in on? Yeah. So, you know, to, to, to some extent, um, we certainly as, as staff and anybody working with, um, you know, in a, you know, quote professional or mentoring role, um, that's absolutely a conversation we have and, and, and speaking about, um, just the dynamics that can show up in a space, you know, um, and, and, and having people, you know, participate in conversation about what, what those rules can look like. Uh, a stereotypical role might be the white dude who wants to talk the entire time. Uh, and, uh, you know, another stereotypical role might be, uh, the woman who's the co-facilitator, facilitator, um, letting that person talk the whole time and uh so I so we'll talk, we'll, i think i've played both those roles <laughs> yeah <laughs> at times yeah, absolutely 
so yeah, we we hold, we absolutely hold those conversations, and then you know we go to to trainings on 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 various you know things were you know one of the trainings and one of the things we've been really fortunate the city of portland you know has given us a grant to, to attend a lot of trainings uh that are based in equity and um so going to trainings on reframing racism or uh just you know uh, the inner dynamics of, of of group and and what that looks like and and who's showing up to group and, and how that person is perceiving uh those folks around them and what they're experiencing versus somebody else and and learning from uh, I, and what I mean by that is, is take somebody who might have uh, social anxiety and someone who might not, and you get in a group of 50 people, and, and what comes up for both those individuals, and, and, and where might it come from, and uh, what can we learn from that, and how is, do I as a facilitator and a youth worker take that into the rooms where, where I'm facilitating uh, something with young folks, particularly, again, as a white guy over six feet tall. You know, and I'm, you know, uh, reasonably slender, but, you know, when I work with, with young folks, a lot of times, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll start with this anecdote, which is uh, when I first started working in treatment, uh, I was probably 23 years old, treatment counselor, and I had this idea that I needed to posture my strength, and I needed to make sure that young people knew that when I said something, I was strong, and I wasn't going to back down, because if you back down, well, now they know you're soft, right? So... Um, you know, I, I think it was trying to, this, this, this young man had got glue sticks all over his room and even asked to pick up the, the sticks and we were about to go outside and, you know, it was, you can't go outside unless you pick up the sticks kind of black and white, either or scenario. And the kid got up and he threw his shoulders back. And so I stood in front of the, the door and I was like, I'm not going to back down. First of all, I'm blocking an exit, which is uh, a bad thing that I know now. But so anyway, the kid just up and clocked me and it was like the best thing that ever happened to me i was like of course this kid clocked me you know here i am posturing uh in his job i mean is in in that space you know i think it's very reasonable that that, that he hit me for standing in his doorway and pretending like i I, w I was gonna like get him to pick up these sticks um so I, I say that to say that now, you know, when I'm working with folks, I try to shrink my, my body and I might, uh, you know, speak in a softer tone uh, and, and really just watch the way um, I am handling myself uh, and then asking a lot of questions, you know, celebrating the knowledge in the room. Uh, mm. Yeah. Yeah. What haven't we touched on that you'd like to give, <laughs> give voice to? <laughs> uh, you know, um, you know, I think... I think that, you know, the arts, music, you know, is, ha, has this, this thing about it, which is wonderful. Uh, but there's also this other part of, of my voice music that, that's important to talk about. So music, you know, it's, you know, it's been used for, for millennia for building community and celebrating uh, uh, joy and, and tragedy and, and coming together and uh, transcendence and, uh, and all these various uh, things, you know, music, when a choir sings together, uh, their hearts can become uh, in sync. The beating of their hearts can become in sync. When we, when we sing vocally, uh, we're releasing serotonin into our minds, uh, in our brain. There's, there's all these things that, that music particularly can, can do. But the pursuit of music is another thing. And sometimes I describe my voice music as, you know, we could be throwing rocks and, and teaching folks how to skip rocks. It's just an excuse to be involved in someone's life. And, and to build relationship 
uh, with somebody. And so, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the arts, it's just making space for relationship to happen. And, and we can do that. You know, I can do that in my life with my, with my son or my, my wife or, you know, my, my mother, you know, like creating space for relationship to happen. Um, and then, and then within that relationship, finding room to be uh, inspired and, and grateful for that person uh, that is in our life. Even if a lot of times there's, there's a conflict or there's a difference of opinion. You know, I feel like right now is this place, uh, you know, politically and socially where, where it's either or, and there's no area for conversation. If, if you say this, then I cannot believe that, that you would say that. And if you say the other side, it's the same response and in finding room to find the beauty in, in individuals with whom we're in relationship and acknowledging the common humanity, even though there's peripheral things that, that separate us that are important. Uh, you know, I think that, I think that that's a, something that, that I hope to incorporate in my life more and, and that my voice music, you know, has kind of institutionalized. And so, um, and I also think that's a really important universal kind of thing that that is uh, a really strong takeaway. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Totally in sync with that myself. Um, for people in the Portland area, what's the best way to support you and my voice music at the moment? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, you know, so in the nonprofit world, I, you know, I, I think, you know, funding is always important, but I also think that just, you know, sharing what we're doing and that's such an easy, like, Hey, I just heard about, you know, if you identify kind of with, with what we're talking about and you, uh, you know, want to learn more about the programs, you know, you can go to our website. And if, if you dig that, you know, just sharing work that, that we are doing is, is impactful. Um, the other thing is the donation of, of instruments. Right now, actually, uh, we run several programs with undocumented migrant youth that were picked up at the border uh, fleeing Latin America. And um, those programs have, have, the programs that we've been running uh, have been shut down because the, the facilities are, are so um, uh, um, busy. They, uh, there's been a, a dramatic uptick in, in the young folks that are at the facilities. And so we've you know, tried to re rethink the programs that we're running so that it's easier for the staff uh, and the and the youth to to have us in there um, without having to coordinate this. You know, kind of uh, special programs or whatever. So anyway, the the point is, we've uh, we need a bunch of gym bays. You know, <laughs> particularly, uh, and and I think you know. Uh, so if anybody's got a hand drum, a gym bay is you know kind of. Uh, a catch-all as I'm speaking for, you know, a hand drum that makes some noise that, that folks can, can hit and, and bang on. So um, that's a particular need. And then, um, you know, if you're interested in seeing a program and finding out more, uh, you can, you can contact us through our website, uh, myvoicemusic.org. And if they've got instruments, specifically hand drums to donate, just email you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. They can email. Uh, it's, it's probably better to email info at my voice music i n f o uh just to make sure it, it gets a couple eyes on there um and, and our studio director would probably uh take those in and you know the gym bays are, are like our particular need right now but you know we're always in need of, of of guitars and amps and kind of the the contemporary pop music instruments you know condenser mics for recording or 
amplifiers or keyboards, uh, particularly uh, weighted key, you know, piano-esque uh, uh, keyboards and uh, yeah, that sort of thing, cables, all that stuff. Awesome. And you can check the production notes to see uh, all the contact stuff for Ian. Uh, what about people who are not in this area? How can they, how can they support you remotely? Uh, you know, um, you know, I, you know, uh, supporting remotely, I guess I think of like, uh, maybe two ways. I mean, one, uh, you can always, you know, make a financial, uh, contribution through our website. Um, but then, you know, okay, there's two more ways. Uh, one, you know, if you happen to want to run a program like this in your community online, we have like kind of a how to booklet. And, and we're all about just like kind of sharing this very simple uh, mechanism uh, or philosophy methodology and, and uh, tangible things to do in, in uh, programs with folks so they can go into a treatment center or a detention center and run music workshops with, with young people that, that don't have you know, any other opportunity in their life at this point to express themselves uh, creatively, positively, to, to be seen as, as, as a common human and, and not... Uh, uh, a challenge. Uh, and so anyway, if, if anybody's interested in that, we have it on our website and, and, you know, we would love to talk more with you and, and, and help, you know, get a program set up somewhere else. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the last thing is listen to some tunes, you know, go to my voice music, click on our music link and, uh, and our kids, they're writing ridiculous tunes. It's amazing. Really good stuff and really funny stuff and serious stuff and, uh, you know, stuff on, all sorts of stuff. So. Yeah, I watched uh, the video that came out. I don't know if it was recent or not, but it was a collaboration. It looked like with a local band and maybe some uh, some some older adolescent participants. It was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Red Fang video. Red, I Red Fang. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're aliens, man. That was a <laughs> super cool. Red Fang is this like, uh, yeah, I mean, they're Billboard top, you know, forty metal metal band. This is groove rock and band, and uh, yeah, they were super cool. Came in the studio and rocked out with some of our teens right on well ian thank you so much for taking the time today to share about yourself and your life and your work and i really appreciate the impact you're making and i'm i'm really inspired and i am i'm committed to coming out and supporting finding a way to support my voice myself uh, when the time is right awesome thank you thank you for for that and thank you for, for doing this podcast and and uh you know, inviting me to, to have a conversation with you. To find out more about Ian's work, go to myvoicemusic.org. My question for you is this. Where in your life is there an opportunity to build community through simple acknowledgement of someone? This has been the Super Givers Podcast, and I'm your host and producer, Jesse Johnson. To hear past episodes, you'll find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. If you're inspired enough to write a brief review on one of those platforms, please do. They help a lot. You can learn more about me and my work at supergivers.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.